Hello, and welcome back to My Pastor Says, the show that is all about you and your questions about God, the Bible, and life in general. I am your host, Dave Atherton. I'm the lead pastor at Aviator Church in Derby, Kansas, and I'm incredibly grateful for your time this week. If you have a question that you would like to have answered, uh, please send me an email to dave at aviatorchurch.com. Again, dave at aviatorchurch.com. And please put in the subject line, my pastor says, and I would love to answer your questions on a later episode of the show. Speaking of being later episodes in the show, I got to say, I don't think that everybody assumed we'd make it to episode number six. And yet here we are. I got to tell you, I was looking um, at my my podcast host site, uh, and saw that this week we actually got to 558 downloads, um, which is mind-boggling to me. So I am so grateful for all of you who have been listening. Um, If you are just joining us here, feel free to jump back and check out the previous episodes. Um, We've tried to have a good time, but basically what we're trying to do here is I want to answer questions that you have about, you know, God and the Bible. As a pastor, that's kind of what I'm uh, passionate about doing, and so uh, it's been a good opportunity for me to see, uh, you know, where people's questions are and, and to spend some time studying and, and preparing and getting ready for it. It's been a challenge, but also I think it's been pretty rewarding and I've gotten a lot of positive feedback. So I thank you for that. Speaking of positive feedback, if you are so inclined and would be willing, especially those of you who listen on um, the Apple Podcast app, uh, if you would go into your Apple Podcast and rate and review the show, that would be uh, really dope. Uh, it turns out that a lot of what they do is algorithm-based, and it's uh, you know how many people are, are recommended to the show has to do with how many people are rating and reviewing the show. Uh, and so the more people that we can get out to, I think the better. So if you don't mind, if you'd be willing to do that, that would be greatly appreciated. So moving on to our question for this week, uh, and by the way, I want to apologize in advance. Uh, this week, you're stuck with just me. I know last week I had um, my brother, who is a worship pastor of 20 years on, talking about, and I'll mute my computer like a professional would do, um, <laughs> but I had my brother on last week, uh, and, and we were talking about worship, but this week it is only me here, um, and we're going to talk about something very different, uh, although I suppose tangentially connected. Um, today, our question uh, is actually a hard-hitting one, uh, and it, it comes to us, um, you know, via the email uh, from one of the members of Aviator, uh, who goes by the name of Chris. And so Chris messaged in, and and he was actually referencing a series that we were doing in the church uh, called Luglow, the Love God, Love Other series. Um, and his question, he even says here, uh, he's like, I don't know if this is actually a question or not, but it does make you think. Um, and so, so here it is. It says, um, I've loved the series, uh, but of course the question comes up about how do you love someone who has hurt you. Not just a minor issue, but a major pain issue such as a bully or even someone who has molested your kids. Um, Somebody who has caused great uh, injustice towards you, somebody who has hurt you uh, in in a seriously traumatic way. How do you actually go about loving that person? And really, I think that the issue that this ties into is forgiveness, right? Um, you know, we're talking about, well, it's easy to love somebody, you know, who's, who's maybe wronged you a little bit, but how do you really love somebody who's absolutely devastated you, who's wrecked you? Um, so we're going to dive into that today, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and up front, um, what I want to say is this, I know that there are going to be people who are hearing the words that I'm saying right now who have walked through some incredibly difficult times, who have been victimized, who have been uh, wounded deeply. And, and I want you to know up front, I don't minimize 
any of that. I don't minimize your experiences. I certainly don't mean to minimize uh, the amount to which you have been victimized. Um, And so if anything I say comes off that way, uh, please reach out to me so we can talk and and clear that up. Um, In no way, shape, or form are going to do that. But I am going to talk today about the fact that I believe we do have an obligation to forgive even those who have really, really wounded us, who have really hurt us. And so today we're going to talk about forgiveness um, and and how ultimately the Christian is to deal with forgiveness. Now, I want to say this. I I want to make this very clear. Um, when I'm talking about the Christian, there are not the same expectations on unbelievers that there are unbelievers. So if you're listening to this show uh, and you consider yourself a Christian, we're going to walk through three passages of Scripture that are all Jesus' teaching, and we're going to uh, see ultimately what He has to say about forgiveness. But I think that really, in today's culture, this topic, man, oh man, may be paramount. Uh, This may be one of those things where if we don't get a handle, especially in today's America, on how to deal with forgiveness, I think that we might be in for a world of hurt. I think especially right now when you watch the news, um, you see that there is, whatever the dividing line is, people are absolutely um, resolute and unforgiving to those on the other side of the line. An example of this actually happened just this week um, with a young man named Carson King, and some of you are probably familiar with the story, but in case you're not, um, Carson uh, is a guy who actually, uh, during during ESPN college football, they do a, a big kickoff show to the start of the day. I forget the name of the show, but uh, it's a bunch of guys sitting around talking heads at a desk talking about what teams to watch and who's going to win and this and that. And, and whatever college campus they're at, the kids will get behind the set and they'll act like uh, lunatics for about three hours, um, you know, dancing around and doing whatever. Well, this kid, Carson King, actually managed to get behind um, the set of the show this week, and he held up this big sign, um, and and I'm paraphrasing because I don't actually have the picture in front of me, but it was basically he he was requesting money for beer, said that his his uh, I think Bush Light supply was low, uh, need beer money, and then he put his Venmo ID, um, which I've never used Venmo, but it's an app where you can send money across from from one person to another vendor mobile. Um, and and shockingly, a lot of people saw that and actually responded by sending this kid uh, a bunch of money up actually over $11,000, $11,000 to a college student. Uh, if, if you've ever been a college student, you know how this works. You don't have money, right? And so anyways, this guy who is just, I mean, he was being funny, just made a, a goofy sign uh, asking for beer money, um, all of a sudden has $11,000, which, you know, is a cool story, and that's something he could, you know, tell his grandkids about one day. Oh, I did this dumb thing, and and got a bunch of money. But what's crazy is is he actually had an incredible act of generosity out of this and decided to donate all of that money um, to the children's hospital there in Iowa. And so uh, made a made a post about it, just thought it was funny. He said he was going to uh, keep out enough money to buy one case of beer, and then the rest of it was going to the hospital. And, and once that became a known thing, a bunch more people started donating to it. Uh, and at last check, I looked at this before I started recording on uh, Thursday night this week, um, he had raised over $1.6 million dollars. million. And this 24-year-old kid decided to donate all of that to this children's hospital, which is just objectively an amazing story. What a great thing he's doing. And and this is so good and so awesome. 
uh, actually, uh, the beer company who he had uh, uh, solicited in the first place um, had had actually decided to match at one point. I think when it was about three hundred fifty thousand dollars, so they're they're giving money and all this. Well, this is an amazingly positive story until uh, it became uncovered that eight years prior to this series of events happening, uh, this kid had posted some things I think on Twitter um, that was actually quoting a television show uh, that that was. Um, the quotes were were deemed racist. I don't actually know what the quotes were. Didn't look those up, um, but but everyone's kind of who I've read on this seems to be in, in unison about this that the the tweets the tweets were not good. As a 16 year old, this kid said some things that were bad, and and he has come out and since apologized, and he admits that they were bad, and and since has shown places where he's tweeted since then about how uh, we as a culture need to end racism and hate and all this and that. This is obviously a, as a 24 year old, not the same kid that he was as a 16 year old, and yet the outrage has been real and palpable. Uh, the beer company continued; they did they did match what they had said they were going to match, but they publicly disavowed. Uh, this kid. They said that they're no longer going to be associated with him. Um, there's all kinds of people who are who are fired up online, the online warriors. Um, and basically, honestly, for a, for a kid whose only reason that he has any notoriety whatsoever is because he just raised $1.6 million for a children's hospital, culture looked at him, and because he did something eight years ago, a lot of people have written him off and are not willing to forgive him. You see, I think forgiveness in our culture today has gone away. Really, when we're talking about forgiveness and, and we're dealing it with it uh, within ourselves, we're looking at it from this standpoint. When we have an option, are we going to choose rage or grace? Are we going to choose our wounds or being healed? Are we going to choose bitterness or forgiveness? So as we look at God's Word today, and try to understand, um, you know, just what forgiveness is. I want you to listen to this in the context of who we are becoming as a culture, because I think who we are becoming as a culture is very concerning when it comes to forgiveness. Um, man, I would love it if if the church could lead out and set the example for what it looks like to actually forgive again. As we deal with forgiveness, we're actually going to look at it in two ways, because this is kind of the you know, for people who struggle with forgiving somebody, there's there's two basic uh, issues that I think that they struggle with um, when it comes to the sin that they're having to forgive. <clears throat> the sin that they're having to forgive, uh, either they're dealing with an issue of quantity of sin or quality of sin. Um, so we're going to look at a couple of passages uh, that kind of deal with the two of these um, and just address, you know, what scripture, what Jesus has to say about it. And we'll start with what I think is the easier one first, the quantity of sin. So this would deal with um, somebody who has repeatedly sinned against you or violated you uh, in some capacity. And so as we look at this, I'm actually going to uh, open up to Luke chapter 17. Um, and in Luke chapter 17, uh, we find Jesus teaching uh, in verse 3 and 4, and he's teaching people, and he says this, "'Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you the seventh time, saying, I repent,' then you must forgive him. This is a passage to deal some with the quantity of sin for somebody who continues to sin against you, continues to hurt you, continues to wound you. <clears throat> Excuse me. As we look at this uh, particular verse, um, you know, Jesus is, is being very clear uh, that, that the idea that if somebody is continually sinning against you, then you have a job to do. Forgive them. 
which sounds tough because we say, well, if they continually sin, then, then how can I really forgive them because they're not even changing? There is one caveat in this verse, and I don't know if you heard it. It says, pay attention to yourselves. If a brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. So we're dealing with another Christian specifically, uh, but if that person is repentant, then you don't get a choice. If he, if he comes and repents of his sin and says he wants to do something differently, uh, then, then you have to forgive him. This idea is that it's not uh, uh, optional, it's mandatory. And that is incredibly difficult. And I was trying to kind of you know, really internalize that, and I was reading through a couple of commentaries on it, and I actually, rather than, than try to break down someone else's words on it, I read this, and, and I thought it was really powerful. This is from L. Morris uh, in his uh, Luke and Introduction and Commentary dealing with these particular verses, says this, excuse me, this is far from bringing about sin. The follower of Jesus will oppose it. When someone sins, the Christian will rebuke him. This does not mean that he will adopt an attitude of censoriousness, uh, of anger, of vitriol. For the context stresses forgiveness. It means that though he will be compassionate, he will not be weak. He cannot be indifferent to evil, but this does not mean that he will bear a grudge. If the offender repents, the believer must forgive him, and if his forgiveness, excuse me, and his forgiveness must be without limit. When Jesus speaks of seven times in the day, he does not mean that an eighth offense need not be forgiven. He is saying that forgiveness must be habitual. I'm going to say that again. Forgiveness must be habitual. For some people, that might be a, a tough sentence to hear. From the world's point of view, a sevenfold repetition of offense in one day must cast doubt as to the genuineness of a sinner's repentance. But that is not the believer's business. His business is forgiveness. You hear that? That, that if somebody sins against you seven times, says the world might reasonably, honestly, might reasonably cast doubt as to the genuineness of that sinner's repentance. But that is not the believer's business. His business is forgiveness. This idea that it's not our job necessarily to know uh, the ins and outs of whether or not a sinner is completely repentant. Our job is to be forgiving and to be habitually forgiving. And so if somebody continues to offend, then you continue to forgive. I appreciate that that commentary uh, highlights the fact that you need to be compassionate but not weak. Forgiving sin doesn't necessarily mean that you have to stay in the vicinity of the sinner, so to speak. An example, obviously, for this would be a woman in an abusive relationship um, who who is unable, uh, well, not unable, but her husband is unwilling to repent. I would say, obviously, at that point, that woman, she still would have the obligation to work towards forgiveness in her own life. However, uh, staying in that relationship would be detrimental to her, potentially to her children, uh, would be dangerous and unwise. And so I don't want you to mistake this idea that forgiveness means you know, blind mercy and compassion without having the ability to have any real response. It doesn't mean be weak, but it does mean be forgiving. So that's dealing with the quantity of sin, uh, that, that really Scripture is pretty clear that, that if quantity is an issue, then we keep forgiving and keep forgiving and keep forgiving. As a matter of fact, that idea of seven times, Jesus <laughs> kind of blows out of the water uh, when talking to Peter at one point, um, says the world says you forgive your brother seven times, and that was kind of the cultural norm at the time. Uh, but I say you forgive your brother 70 times, seven times. Uh, so for those of you keeping track at home, that's 490 times. Obviously, he didn't mean that to be exact, but he meant that to be uh, the idea that forgiveness should be boundless. So that's dealing with quantity. 
<clears throat> excuse me, but what about with quality? So when we're dealing with the quality of sin, and this really refers more to somebody who has wounded you greatly, to somebody who has really hurt you. Um, before we dive into this uh, passage, I will say this. <clears throat> There's a book that I heard several quotes from this summer, and I got to be upfront. I have not actually read the book, although uh, it is on my Amazon list, and I will be reading it um, because the things that I heard were really powerful. And it is by a guy who I really like uh, named J.D. Greer. And J.D. Greer wrote this book. Uh, it's called The Gospel, and it has a big, long subtitle name <laughs> that I forgot to write down in my notes. I apologize. Um, but anyways, in his book, one of the things that he had talked about, and this is a paraphrase because I tried to find the exact quote and was unable, um, but he talked about when dealing with forgiveness, when doling out forgiveness to people, this sentence that, that we, we read and discussed this summer really stuck with me. It says that you have to remember that you are an offender first and the offended second, that you're the offender first and you're the offended second. And what in the world does that mean? Well, here's what it means. That scripturally, there is one thing that unites all of us together. There's one thing that ties all of humanity together, according to Romans, and that is the fact that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That we have sinned against God. That we are, we are short of His glory and that we are sinners. And so the reality is this, that prior to this person offending you, you yourself and are, are an offender to God. And, and you might be asking yourself, yeah, what does that have to do with anything? This person hurt me. Well, the reality is that there's kind of a weird dynamic when you sin. Yes, you might hurt somebody else, but all of your sin is against God. The best way that I can think to, to uh, be an example of this is I've got three boys, one of them who basically is, is still figuring out how to be mobile and doesn't really equate into this very much. But my two older sons, a lot of times we'll tell them, like when we're making dinner, okay, go to the, go to the toy room and play for a little bit. Um, and when dinner's ready, we'll call you out. Well, inevitably, we'll send them back there, and they'll be fine for the first couple of minutes, and then we'll hear that they're starting to play a game where they're getting a little bit aggressive and wrestling, and then eventually one of them will do something to the other one, and one of them's going to get popped in the head, right? Uh, one of them's going to get smacked or bitten or whatever because kids are kids, and, and that's just kind of what they do. Um, and so here's the thing. When that happens, the the offended brother will come out to me and will start crying and, and say, you know, Titus hit me or Nico bit me or whatever, right? Um, and they'll start crying about it. And here's the thing. In that instance, they offended against each other, right? In that instance, one brother set out to hurt the other brother, but they broke my rules. Does that make sense? They offended one another, but they also offended against me because I have laid out for them guidelines and rules and expectations, and they have violated them. And so one of the things that will help when you're having to deal with somebody who has wounded you in a very serious way you have to recognize the fact that before you were the offended, you were the offender. And as you were the offender, you were in need of forgiveness. There's a study that I read as I was prepping for this, and it talked about the fact that generally speaking, people who have received forgiveness are more inclined to be forgiving. That people who have walked through this path and been the offender and knows what it's like and knows the guilt and the remorse that comes along with that, that those people are far more inclined to then go and to forgive somebody who has wronged them because they know what it's like to be in that position. It's really actually kind of tragic that it takes us screwing up for us to understand to be graceful and forgiving to people who have screwed up. 
But I think about this. I think about one of the most powerful passages of Scripture, and I'll try to get through this quick because I know we're, we're already coming up on time. This is one of them pastor podcasts where I keep talking too much. Sorry. Um, but in Luke chapter 7 uh, is, is where we're actually going to see this. And this is, I'll, I'll skip through most of the, the buildup to it, but essentially there's a, a, a dinner happening at a Pharisee's house, um, and there's a woman of the town who is uh, believed to be a prostitute who shows up uninvited and falls down at Jesus' feet as he's at the table and, and is crying, and she, she anoints his feet with this perfume, and she um, cries and, and wets the feet with her tears and then wipes the feet with her hair. It's, it's kind of a powerful picture here. Um, and the Pharisee, whose name is Simon, says if, if Jesus knew who this lady was, he wouldn't let her you know, be doing all this stuff. And, um, and Jesus uh, answering, by the way, a thought in this guy's head, not words that he said. Simon thought this to himself, and then Jesus answered him. Um, and he says, uh, I have something I want to say to you. And Simon says, go ahead. And so Jesus gives this parable in Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 41. It says, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii, or let's just call it $500 for our purposes, which it's not even close to the actual amount, but one owed $500 and the other owed $50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Which one of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged correctly. So he's asking if, if one person is forgiven a debt of $500 and one person's forgiven a debt of 50, then who's going to be more grateful and, and more ecstatic and, and, and love that person more? He says, the one who has the larger debt canceled. Jesus then highlights Simon the Pharisee versus this woman uh, who is a prostitute. It says, turning to the, toward the woman, he said, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, here's the payoff first, listen to this. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little." You see, the reality is this woman understood the need to be forgiven more so than the Pharisee did, because the Pharisee believed that he was righteous and upstanding, that in this situation, he was the good person and she was the bad person. But what this woman had an understanding of was because she was a sinner, because she was broken, because people judged her and hated her and despised her, she was all that more aware of her own shortcomings and her own sin, and she was all that more aware of her need for forgiveness. See, the reality is we are all in need of forgiveness. We are all sinners separated from God by our sin, and we all have a need for forgiveness. And so when we look at somebody who has, excuse me, who has sinned against us, what we can recognize already is this, that on the cross of Christ, that sin was already forgiven. That abuse was already forgiven. That wound was already forgiven. That infidelity was already forgiven, right? The, the worst things that have ever happened to you, if we as Christians can look at the cross and say, I am so grateful because I have been forgiven on the cross of Christ, then we also have to, in the same vein, look and say that he also forgave that person who offended you. And when you choose to cling to bitterness instead of forgiveness, when you choose rage instead of grace, when you hang on to that thing and say, I cannot forgive that person, you don't know what they did to me. Well, do you know who does know? God does. Just like the two kids in the playroom and one of them bites the other one, they may have sinned against each other, but they also broke daddy's rule, right? They also broke 
God's laws, God's commandments. It was a sin against God every bit as it was a sin against you. And so really, if you're holding on to this unforgiveness, what you're looking at God and saying is this, I appreciate everything that you've done for me, but my standards of forgiveness are just a little bit higher than your standards of forgiveness. And when you hear it that way, that sounds ridiculous, right? doesn't it? To look at God and say, you know what? I think you missed out on this one. You should have forgiven everything on the cross except for this one. This one hurt me. My standards are just a little bit higher than your standards are. I don't know. I think when I think about it in terms of, uh, of that kind of an understanding, uh, it really challenges me to see myself not as the offended but as the offender, and as God has measured out his grace and his forgiveness towards me, how can I not measure it out to somebody who's offended me? I'm going to close this particular podcast out with one last passage. I told you there's three, and I know I'm way over. I apologize for the time this week. In Matthew chapter 18, um, right after Jesus was actually teaching Peter about the quantity of forgiveness, um, he then highlights this very principle, this idea that that as we were forgiven, so we should forgive. And I want you to hear it straight from Jesus' mouth so you can understand God's perspective on this. It says in Matthew 18, starting in verse 23, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle the accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And when he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees and implored the king, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. In verse 27, it says, and out of pity for this man, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. So he totally canceled the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii substantially less than the 10,000 talents. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. It's the same thing he said to the king. But the man refused and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave all that debt because you pleaded with me and you should not, excuse me, and should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I'm not trying to suggest to you that forgiveness is an easy thing. I'm not trying to suggest to you that forgiveness comes in a moment's notice, that as soon as you're offended, boom, ready to forgive. What I am suggesting is this. Not forgiving is not an option. Unforgiveness is not allowable in our, in our gospel economy. Being unforgiving is not okay. Choosing to hold on to a wound is not okay. This is one of those things where it's like, okay, Dave, well, then how do I do it? Man, I don't know. I can tell you what made me really good at forgiving was getting married to my wife because my wife, uh, in order to marry me, and, and those of you who know our whole story, uh, I won't get into it because I'm already at 745 hours on this podcast, but for those of you who know our whole story, my wife showed a supernatural amount of forgiveness just in marrying me. We had a bit of a rocky road uh, to get to this wonderful place where we are today. And I can tell you this, 
as I look at that and recognize how forgiven I am, man, it makes it a challenge for me to not be able to look at someone else made in God's image who struggles with the same sin issues that I do and not be willing to forgive them. So some of you already know what the issue is. You've got the person in your heart. I didn't have to say their name, but the Holy Spirit put it on your heart. What I'm going to encourage you with is I'm going to encourage you to begin that process, to begin the process of reminding yourself every day until you're ready to forgive that person that you were an offender long before you were the offended and that you ultimately are responsible for your actions in the same way they are responsible for theirs. And the last thing I'm going to say is there's a quote uh, that is kind of a a famous one uh, about forgiveness. It says, uh, to forgive is to set the prisoner free only to find out that the prisoner is yourself. What I believe is that as you walk through this process of, of releasing that person, what you're going to find is that you're actually releasing yourself from a prison of your own bitterness and your own rage. I cannot begin to tell you the impact that forgiveness has made on my life, not only that from God, but that from other people from whom I would argue I don't deserve it, but they gave it anyways. Forgiveness changes things, most importantly, your heart. So I know it's difficult, I know it's hard, and I know that it's a challenging prospect, but I would encourage you to begin that long walk towards forgiveness on whatever thing it is that's hurting you, that you're carrying with you. Uh, Free yourself from those chains. I know this has been a little bit of a heavy episode. Next week, we'll do something stupid. <laughs> How's that sound? I am so grateful that you guys have been here again. And again, uh, if you have a question that you would like to have answered, uh, a walk through a passage or a topic, please email it to me at dave at aviatorchurch.com. Um, and I will, I will answer those as soon as I can on one of the upcoming episodes of My Pastor Says. Please be sure to rate and review us uh, on your way out of here today. And I will see you back again next week with another episode of the show.